The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of June is The Majesty's Men. The Majesty's Men is a multifaceted venture for maximizing men by glorifying God together. TheMajesty'sMen.com focuses on creating content and community for men with an evangelical, reformed, and complementarian perspective on issues we face and roles we fulfill as men of God in our society. The Majesty's Men hosts the Honor God Network, which focuses on content and ministry for men of God. The Honor God Network takes the massive infrastructure and premium tools of TheMajesty'sMen.com and shares them with exemplary men of God who are faithfully, boldly, and winsomely serving others and engaging society with the gospel of Jesus Christ via their personal blogs and podcasts or other projects and ministries. The Majesty's Men then assist in the management and upkeep of the site so everyone can continue doing what they're doing with excellence. A membership on one site gives you access to all the sites in the network and many blogs, podcasts, resources, and projects, and other partner ministries that are in the works. Learn more, join in, and contribute at themajestiesmen.com. Learn more about the Honor God Network and see if you and your work may be a good fit to join by simply typing hnr.gd into your browser. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Uh, Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to be here with Dr. James White. And uh, Dr. White, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good to be with you. Well, let's pray and then uh, looking forward to these questions. So, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to talk about ministry. And I thank you for, for Dr. White making the time to talk with me. And Lord, I just ask for every listener out there, for all the pastors and, and guys that are feeling called into ministry internally, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would encourage them and challenge them and, and just help them along the way. Uh, shine a big spotlight on Jesus. I trust that you will. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. I think most of my listeners are going to be familiar with you, but if you would, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and, and what you do. I know you do, a, you wear a lot of hats, I realize, but, uh, but tell us a little bit about what you, what you do as well. Well, I know that I've spent a whole lot of time, uh, actually talking about myself, uh, at least to try to avoid that. But, um, I'm director of Alpha and Omega Ministries have been since 19, 19- 83. So we're coming up on, uh, I think later this year is 36 years, something like that. Um, and, uh, so as part of that work, I do a lot of, uh, these days, a lot of traveling, a lot of debating. We do the dividing line, which I'll be doing here in a few minutes, uh, actually uh, once we're done and, um, I do a lot of teaching around the world, uh, for a lot of different schools, Europe, South Africa, uh, places like that. And, um, I'm also uh, one of the four elders at Apologia Church in, uh, used to be Tempe, now Mesa, Arizona. Uh, we don't have a building, and I think it's probably a good thing, actually, these days. Um, but we uh, rent from others, and uh, are very, very, it's a very, very, very active fellowship. Jeff Durbin, most people know uh, Jeff, one of my fellow elders, along with Zook Zook and Lack, that's good, Luke and Zach, um, <laughs> the other elders. <laughs> I may start using that. They, we, we, we sort of have a lot of fun doing that. They're a lot younger than I am, so we, uh, uh, they, they've helped me to uh, stay young, I guess. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so do a lot of traveling, a lot of debating, and a lot of different subjects. Uh, do a lot of teaching in Greek and uh, apologetics, things like that. 
and have had some pretty interesting encounters uh, over the over the years. We'll be having more uh, even uh, between now and the end of the year. So a lot of those are public, so people get to see those things. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, you called your fellow elders uh, Zuck, Zook, and Lack. Well, I, I was talking to uh, my friend Toby Sumter out in Moscow, Idaho, and I started the interview, and I had to re- re- like record over it because I called him Toby Stumpler. And <laughs> 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 uh, he was gracious, but you know he, he's a you know kind of a taller, bigger guy, you know. And, and here I am starting the interview, calling him to- Toby Stumpler. So uh, Tony Stumpler. You didn't have to repeat that, but that's okay. Yeah, now it's on air for everybody to know. Um, right. But uh, so tell us, okay, when, when were you converted? Then you started Alpha and Omega in 1983. That was the year I was born, by the way, 1983. So. You got me by a few years, um, not to out your age or anything, but, but, uh, but uh, tell us about when you were converted to Christ, uh, when you were younger, older. When yes, was- I, was, uh, I was very young and uh, part of a uh, Christian family. My uh, father was pastor of a, a Baptist church in Golden Valley, uh, Minnesota, and um, I still remember this day. I don't know what the message was that morning or if it was a Sunday school class or, or what it was, but um, had the conversation with my, my parents that afternoon. I was concerned about uh, the state of my soul. Obviously, that's not the terminology I would have used as a very young person, but um, I do believe, despite my very young age, that I was converted. And, um, you know, through my life, there were ups and downs as with most people, but there was always a, uh, a real concern for uh, my testimony, a real concern for um, my parents. Uh, I remember asking my dad when, uh, when my wife became pregnant with our first child, I remember asking my dad at, at work, I asked him, uh, so how did you instill such a, a fear in me? Uh, that like when I was a teenager and all teenagers have all sorts of opportunities of getting into all sorts of trouble that I, I just never could, could do it because I was so concerned about how you and mom would feel or something like that. And I was hoping for some deep insight from him and he just looked at me and said, son, I have absolutely no idea. So um, obviously it was, you know, consistency over time and, and things like that, but there isn't any, uh, cut and paste methodology, but whereby you can you can do that type of thing. So, anyways, I, I had a lot of um, uh, experience as a younger person. That in later years, you can sort of see how that was a trajectory. Um, getting in trouble for passing out tracks on the playground. Though I was passing out Jack Chick tracks, and Jack Chick died oh. thinking I was the Antichrist. So uh, yeah, that that was a little bit of a weird shift there, but. Um, uh, things like that, uh, taking place and, uh, just, it is interesting once you get old enough to look back and you can see how the Lord was doing certain things. Uh, you can't always see the answers, but sometimes, uh, you, you can go, go, Oh, I see. Didn't understand at the time, but I, I see that. So, so yeah, I don't, um, I don't automatically dismiss, uh, very young professions. I fully recognize that, for example, amongst Southern Baptists, it is common uh, to be baptized uh, on an average two and two, two and a half, two and three quarters times, hmm. um, and it's you know the the youth bat the it's the it's the Southern Baptist equivalent of paedo baptism, 
uh, and then teenage baptism, and then uh, adult baptism. And uh, it's, that's very, 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 very common in those contexts. Uh, so I, I understand that, but I don't think that was my situation. I, I share a early conversion story. I, one of the earliest memories that I have was a little fi- five-year-old boy, and I have a five-year-old son now, or about to be five-year-old son. And, and uh, you know, looking back, I do, I think I was converted as a, as a little boy and had some positive peer pressure in the right direction at our church. And, and, uh, but I do kind of look back on that and seeing that as a time that, that when I was converted as a, as a little boy, but that's, that's cool. That's, that's neat to hear. Jack trick, uh, Jack chick tracks. I used to see those at my grandpa's house and uh, see those all, all over the place. And we, uh, when we went out uh, doing track bombing people, we always use the, the big question tracks. I don't know if you've seen those, the, if you were to die today, do you have the assurance that you, you'd go to heaven tracks? And, uh, but all right, well, okay, call into ministry now, into pastoral ministry specifically. You know, you have Alpha and Omega that started in 1983, but then, uh, you know, we, a lot of my listeners are younger guys kind of navigating this, this call into ministry, and an appropriate call into ministry has that internal and external side to it. And so I'd love to hear uh, about your call into pastoral ministry and, and kind of the beginning stages of that when you, when you thought, man, I think God's calling me, calling me either to preach the word or, um, uh, or to be an elder or pastor at a church and just tell us, walk, walk us through that process for you. What was that like? Well, um, my, my deep desire had been to not do that. Um, I had seen my father so badly mistreated by Christians that um, as a 10 year old, I remember making a commitment to never do anything like that. Uh, so it took a, a bit to, get me past that. I had from an early period of time been working toward getting into one of the military academies, uh, initially Annapolis and then uh, the Air Force Academy. And uh, that's what I really wanted to do. But my eyes started going bad. That doesn't put you in good stead to be a fighter pilot. So um, that did cause me to keep my grades very high. So I was valedictorian in my junior high school, valedictorian in my high school, didn't get a B until sometime in college. Um, and so, but I was doing that primarily so that I could pursue those things. It was, uh, sometime between, uh, my sophomore and junior years in high school that, uh, I really became very, very serious about my faith. I started memorizing scripture, carrying my Bible on top of my books at, uh, school. They started calling me Billy Graham White, uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, somewhere along in there, I, recognized I wasn't going to be going to the Air Force Academy. But at the time, uh, certainly in the churches that I was a part of, there was no um, there was no understanding of apologetics or anything like that. I, I, I had had one encounter with a Mormon on outreach from the Southern Baptist Church we were members of, uh, which had intrigued me a great deal. And I had read a book about it, but but I never heard that term. I don't think that term was ever used from the pulpit, anything like that. So, you know, the call to ministry was rather vague as to what that was going to specifically involve. Hmm. And so once I recognized I was going to be doing something in ministry, initially I was a double major Bible and biology. I thought I might do pre-med, do medical missions or something like that. And then uh, the year after I got married, uh, at the ripe old age of 19, um, that's when I ran, well, within a month after that is when I ran into my first two 
more missionaries and that sort of began to start gives giving some some clarity and so i started taking greek and and everything started going that direction and it was not until oh i'd say at least a decade after that um that i actually um officially became i was amongst southern baptists you can be licensed and ordained Mm -hmm. um because of the ecclesiology of the southern baptist convention um that does not they have they have the single pastor deacons functioning as if they're actually elders model basically and so it wasn't until i became a member of reformed baptist church that you have real clarity as far as ecclesiology uh, provided. And uh, so it was sometime in the late 90s when I actually became an elder at a Reformed Baptist church where I was, where I was a member for 29 and a half years. And um, so there was growth and understanding of what all that involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I do think that there is a, a biblical precedent for recognizing that certain people have different giftings and different callings, even within the eldership. There are those, you know, Paul talks about those who, who teach being given uh, double honor. Well, what about those who's not teaching? What are they doing? Um, there are, are elders who have certain gifts in certain areas and the other elders help to support those and, and, and things like that. So uh, I've never considered myself much of a, uh, of a preacher, I'm more of a teacher. Those I realize a lot of people say those same things, and in many ways they are. Um, but in in other ways, um, you know, I know the good preachers who can craft a, a, a really great sermon. And um, my my strengths are in other places. I, I preached yesterday uh, or day before yesterday in a um, church in Tucson, and all I did was take my Greek New Testament in the pulpit and live translate from John five and make application and people love it. Uh, they, they love the insights that comes from that and not having a artificial uh, outline and, and, and things like that. And uh, people really seem to enjoy that. I certainly do too. So is that teaching? Is that preaching? Is that doing, I, I don't know. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, in my current situation, there's a, my fellow elders are far more skilled than I am in dealing with personal counseling issues in certain areas, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I sort of, I sort of function in having their backs and in uh, encouraging them. And so I'm almost a pastor to pastors in that, in okay. that sense. So, so there's different roles and um, I don't think that, um, that there's a cookie cutter methodology. Some people do try to force a, cookie cutter methodology uh, onto those things. I don't think you can. Right. Yeah, that's helpful. We're, we're a confessional Baptist church within the SBC and we've got a plurality of elders and, and uh, have been functioning that way for a few years. We're just bringing on a new elder and he's going to be somewhat like that, a pastor to us. He is, he's a couple decades older than we are and, and been walking with the Lord for several years. And, and uh, so for you, this wasn't in the questions that I'd sent you, but just as a, as a question for you. So you would be on the, I hate to keep bringing up age thing here, but this is really interesting here because you, uh, I'm, you got me by 15 years or so. What I've noticed between 
you know, you're on the, would be on the younger end of the baby boomers, like the youngest end, I would think. Would that be, would that be an accurate statement? I'm not sure what those years are, but I'm 16 years older than Jeff. And if you said you were 35, then I'm 21 years older than Jeff. 21 years. And here's what I've noticed between those kind of age groups. So let's just say the younger baby boomers and and millennials. And uh, how's that working with the, with the age gap with, with you coming on as an elder at Apologia and then them bringing you on to those dynamics. I mean, as far as the relationship that goes there, as far as friendship, and then just as far as, you know, Hey, you're, you're coming on, uh, you know, been walking with the Lord probably for, for, you know, more years than, than many of those guys have been. And, so how does that work for you? Has it been, you know, coming alongside and being a fellow pastor with younger men? How's that been? Well, uh, it's it's not – I'm not sure how useless it would be because there's a really unique situation here, and, and that is uh, Jeff himself would tell you that um, the prime – well, all three elders would tell you that one of the prime theological influences in their development and in, even in the founding of Apologia – was me. So I wasn't a part of it, but I've always been a go-to theological resource for, for all the other elders. And so it, that's sort of what made the fit so easy um, okay. is, you know, Jeff would say, I, I quote you from the pulpit almost every Sunday as it is. So if you're here, you're not there. It's, it's mm-hmm. sort of the same thing. So there is already that kind of a relationship that, um, that existed. But yeah, uh, for me, it's, it's, they're, they're a high energy group. I mean, when you look at what Apologia is doing every week, no. it's, it's insane with all the end abortion now stuff and everything right. else. And, uh, they're just very, very, very active. And so am I. I mean, my, my travel schedule between now and the end of the year is pretty insane with multiple continents and five or six debates and everything else. So I guess we do fit together along those, uh, those lines. Um, but, you know, there are times... <laughs> when I will use uh, illustrations from my life that just bomb completely because nobody in the room other than the other couple of other older guys even gets it. Right. Um, and then there are times they'll say something and I just sit there and go, I don't get it. And well, you know, there's a movie last year and this is what happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's okay. That, that's, uh, that, that's all right. I can still, run circles around any one of them on a bike. So that's okay. Uh, that's, yeah. that's my one, that's my one, uh, my one last gasp there is, uh, uh, I may be, I may be an old man, but I can still climb to the top of Mount Evans faster than you can on a bike. So it's, that makes, that means nothing, but it makes me feel better. Yes. Yeah, so, well, it should. I'm impressed. Cause I, I was listening to a dividing line and you're talking about going on an 80 miler and I was thinking, my goodness, I go out for a five mile run, but an 80 mile bike ride would, would almost kill me. I think. Uh, okay. So, so you got this travel it's schedule. Time to read books, by the way. Yeah. That's what I was thinking is that you, you probably utilize that to get some, some, uh, you know, audible or Christian audio or something yep. in there. Yep. So, okay. You travel time. We've got a lot of lay elders that are listening in. How do you do the alpha, uh, you know, alpha, everything you've got with alpha and omega and your travel schedule and debates prepping for those and yet be present to be able to, to pastor and shepherd people at the church? How do you balance that out? Because that seems really, really hard. Yeah, well, it, it would be if, uh, if I had the same position as the other three elders who are all supported by the church, okay. and hence are, you know, 24 hours right there. 
Um, we brought me on recognizing that it's not going to change anything with Alvin Omega. So I am not supported by the church and this is my full-time ministry. So, um, I know what's going on because we stay in close contact with one another and, you know, talk about things and, and, uh, share things and stuff like that. But they're the ones in the offices. They're the ones meeting with people on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I have more of a, like I said, more of a ministry to them. And then when, it, when opportunity arises, when you're in the fellowship of the saints and stuff like that, you'll, you'll meet with people and seek to encourage them and, and things like that. But uh, the, the fellowship realizes that, for example, between now and the end of the year, I will be there less than half the time. Okay. Uh, I will be in South Africa, London, Sydney, Australia, all over the place. Um, and I'm sort of their representative uh, to do those things. So, Now, when you are there, say on a Sunday morning gatherings, Lord's Day, or do you have a visible presence that where the weeks that you are there, you're doing, you know, a, uh, you're welcoming people to communion? Or um, is there something that you're doing that is visible? Is there like a, a prayer time um, or something like that? Well... Uh, that, that may be changing. I mean, my, my, technically my, my official installation service is Sunday. So uh, most of the elders, most of the elders do stand up front and participate in making announcements and things like that. I I don't know that I will uh, necessarily do that. That's up to, I'll leave that up to the other guys, but you know, this past Sunday, uh, I just barely managed to get there. I was preaching in Tucson and go back in time. We only have one service on Sunday afternoons. And so I did come up to talk about the church history series. I'm starting, um, on Thursday nights and give them some information about that. But no, I mean like uh, pastor Zach comes up and he's the one that's in charge of all the large amount of, uh, you know, we've got guys that go out to Mormon ward chapels on Sunday mornings and, and talk with people and witness to them and, and uh, people who organize outreaches. I mean, it's probably the most evangelistic church I've ever even heard of, to be perfectly honest with you. And so Zach will come up there and he'll talk about those, those issues. And, and uh, so each of us has, you know, sort of a, a different focus uh, that, we, that we put our, our expertise into. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. Uh, all right, let's get into some, uh, you know, you're a guy that's always steered clear of controversy, so I'll make sure. And <laughs> uh, but why should pastors, you're here, I want to ask you this and, and hear from you, but why should pastors be aware of the Equality Act and that has been proposed over the last few years? I think it was first on the scene in 15 or 16, but it keeps coming around. But the Equality Act that's out there, what, what, why should we be aware of that? And what's the big deal about that? Well, the Equality Act, which passed the House of Representatives two weeks ago, um, I, I don't think it's been around that long uh, in the rather radical form that it's in now. But um, it is, I, I, do, I do get the feeling there are some pastors who sort of have the idea that if, if I don't hear about it and I don't study it, it's not going to end up impacting me. And um, we can't, we can't, we can't do that anymore. This is an anti-Christian, uh, Orwellian, uh, brave new world um, piece of legislation. It is as unconstitutional in almost every one of its provisions as the day is long. 
a, not a single founding father of the United States would have done anything but either goofed in laughter or reached for a weapon uh, if someone had ever suggested anything like this during their lifetimes. It's, it's truly that bad. Um, and it will weaponize homosexuality, gay marriage, and transgenderism uh, to silence the church, to um, end, you know, we all, it's going to end eventually, but tax exemptions are going to go away. Um, Institutions of higher learning uh, need to get ready to, well, there are certain Christian institutions who saw this a long time ago and will not take federal funds for anything. New St. Andrews Uh, College. Uh, and um, uh, Hillsdale and a few others that saw this stuff coming. Um, But the big box schools who have huge facilities and hence huge overheads um, are either going to have to, I don't know what they're going to do other than simply close down, to be honest with you, but the the federal funding is going to disappear. Tax exemption is going to disappear. And, uh, we will be forced out of, we are being forced out of the medical field, the legal field. We already see in Canada uh, institutionalized prejudice against Christians in the legal field. Uh, those are the areas of control of the society. And so it's very, 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 very pur- uh, purposeful. And so we're seeing this in our own country. It probably won't get through the Senate. It could, mm-hmm. it's that close. If it did, it would probably be uh, vetoed by the president, but maybe not. Um, but it's just a matter of whether it's going to be 2021 or 2025 right. before it does. Right. And so this is what's coming in our direction. And uh, deplatforming with the government's approval uh, the end of our ability to do things like we're doing right now, at least in with using United States servers. I mean, I suppose there's other ways to do it, but we're all going to be scrambling for all that stuff uh, in the very, very, very near future. And um, uh, it is utterly intentional and purposeful. There's no yeah. question about it. Well, um, so so th- this is happening, Equality Act stuff. And then in Illinois today, actually, it's, being, it's on the floor of the House right now, uh, no restriction abortion. Uh, I'm in Illinois, Southern Illinois, and these things are, are happening simultaneously in our world. Now I'm, I'm just finished reading David Chilton's Par- Paradise Restored and Durbin and some others that are of the post-mill persuasion. I've been diving into some eschatology recently. I'm kind of late in the game with eschatology, but it's an ironic. Have yeah. read The Mission of God by uh, Joseph Boot yet? No, I have not. Joseph Boot, The Mission of God. I'm writing it down yep. as we speak. Um, I was listening to that while climbing Mount Lemmon on my bike uh, um, on Saturday. Okay, gotcha. Well, I'm going to – I'll put that in the show notes for, for you guys as well, but I'll check that out. But it's this weird time where I'm, I'm like reading this post mill stuff and then simultaneously looking at everything quite well, literally around me. <laughs> and, and see, this is, uh, this is one of the conversations we've had at, at Apologia – you know, when they ask, you know, where I stand on some of this stuff. And I'm like, look, um, I would love to embrace, I've, I've often said I was raised pre-mill, uh, I'm convinced on mill and I could wish it was post-mill. Yeah. See, that's and, where I'm at. I'm kind of there as well, you know? Right. And so 
so the post-millennial aspect of it, um, you have to remember that that Puritan hope is not attached to any one culture. Yeah, that's good. And uh, the reality is that, there, that history shows us many cultures that have been blessed by God, and then when they sinned against that light, then God uh, brought an end to those cultures as a testimony. And certainly there would be, there's already a tremendous testimony in looking at the buildings in Ireland and the United Kingdom and Scotland and, and places like that where symbols of the Trinity are everywhere and the, the names of great men of God are chiseled on stone. And yet those societies are vastly secular and uh, very much intent upon rebelling against God. And you see what's happening. The, the very cohesion of the society is coming apart. Yeah. I was just looking at a story about the, a transgender winning the women's track and field thing. You know, it's just a guy dressed up as a girl and crushed all the girls. Gee, that's, you know, so, so impressive. Uh, but that's what's happening, that type of sin. And by the way, the Equality Act will enforce that kind of transgender celebration. Every public mm-hmm. building uh, will have to allow men into the women's room, all the rest of this stuff. It's just, it's pure insanity. It's pure evil. And it's, it's going to be here 2021 to 2025, one to two. That's yeah. the, and it's meant to fundamentally reshape society and, uh, and create uh, chaos. And that's what it, what it will do. So anyway, um, that, that don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a contradiction to having a, at least a post-millennial perspective, and that is that the, the purpose of the church is to extend the kingdom of God and to proclaim the lordship of Christ in whatever situation yeah. she's found in. And if God wishes to move the center of the church, the Southern Hemisphere, yeah. uh, to Africa, to South America, and let the the Western cultures stew in their own juices. That's God's, that's God's right. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. That's good. All right. What's at stake? Churches, even conservative churches have become over the last five years, increasingly what I've been saying, just embarrassed of our complementarity to the point that uh, there's sympathy um, with soft complementarianism to almost anything that's out there. And, what the Bible actually says, like actual verses, we seem just wildly embarrassed about, unfortunately. Uh, we have female preachers under the authority, so-called authority of male elders uh, at churches, and that conversation has been ramping up in the Southern Baptist Convention and other networks. What is at stake at the with the current woke conversations about gender, sexuality within conservative denominations and churches? What I mean... Is it, I mean, the concern is just crazy. What's at stake? <laughs> well, uh, that, that, the social justice train has many cars. And uh, once the, the first car came into the station, we shouldn't be surprised that the others came right along with it. And um, I, was, I was talking to a very, very well-known Southern Baptist leader uh, less than two weeks ago. And I just basically said, what happened at the time of the MLK 50 thing last year, because it's been a little over a year and it's, it's like the dam broke, the, the door was kicked in and this flood of stuff is just flowing into the SBC and into conservative you know, SBC, PCA, 
OPC, which really shocks me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've talked with Reformed Baptist elders who said, well, that's not going to impact us. I'm like, oh, yes, it, yes, it will. Don't be naive. Um, it's, it's a coming. And uh, what is at stake uh, is, well, first, you have to recognize the, these are not disconnected issues. They are very much connected together. They very much speak to whether the scriptures are sufficient Mm. um, or whether we're going to be looking outside them, how we're going to handle them, how we're going to interpret them. Um, And every single denomination, I mean, if we just look at American history, let alone throw the the Brits in for the fun of it, um, see, a lot of Americans don't travel. A lot of Americans are monolingual. We only know one language. We think, er- we think everything is centered on the United States. And sometimes when you travel, that's almost reinforced to you. Because like right before the election, the 2016 election, I was down in uh, New Zealand and Australia. And on jumbotrons in Brisbane, they were, there was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Jumbotrons in the public spaces of Brisbane. They know more about what's going on here than we, most people here don't have a clue who the prime minister of New Zealand is or Australia, and we don't care. Most of them know about us. They look at us. The problem is we don't know what's going on in the rest of the world, and as a result, we accept Americocentric type argumentation. Um, One of the horrible results of this is that we are exporting the current social justice racism discussions into places where it's bad enough in the United States where it's being exported in is pure poison absolutely pure poison and uh it, it's just one of the many things that we've seen what what will be at stake will be i think the continuation of the southern Baptist convention as a viable entity um you know we recognize the decreasing numbers there's a reason for that right and that reason has to do with the americocentric population of the Southern Baptist Convention, and as a result, a recognition that as this nation becomes more and more secular, you just look at the millennials, you look at the Z-Gens, that's our future. And there are people who seem to think that somewhere in Scripture there is a promise that says that any denomination will always be growing. Um, That's not the case. Hmm. How many of the seven churches to which letters were written by the Spirit of God under the authority of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation are in Muslim countries today and have almost no Christians in them at all. Hmm. There is no promise in Scripture that any one particular culture, denomination, church, whatever, is going to have an extended and long life. Um, the king of the church builds his church in the way that he sees fit, not the way that we see fit. And so I think there's a, a lot of uh, bad thinking on the part of people that they're going to have to change their way of thought. Yeah. And we're all going to have to look back into church history and go, all right, now that we're a small despised minority, how do we deal with this? Mm-hmm. And that's already what a lot of our, you know, all of our brothers and sisters in China have been dealing with that for a long, long time. Yeah. A lot of people in, in Europe have been dealing with that for a long, long time. And, and now we're going to be getting to deal with that as well. And that's, that's not, quote unquote, the church's fault. I'm tired of that. As if, as if we had just had a few more Sunday schools, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> no, it, it, you know, God deals with nations. And when he brings judgment upon a nation, 
our job is to know how to live faithfully within that context. Mm. And uh, that's a, that's a huge challenge. That's a huge challenge. I, yeah. I don't claim to have all the answers to that either, but one thing is for certain um, there is much we can learn from those who've gone before us who have faced similar circumstances, just not without big brothers um, technology. That's, yeah. that's, that's the thing that makes me go, Oof. Um, people can, you know, my, uh, I get into my car now and my phone automatically displays a, a note that says it'll take you six and a half minutes to get home from here. Yeah. You know, it's, it knows where I am and knows I've been there before and knows where I'm probably going to be going. And, uh, it's, uh, right now it's sort of cool, <laughs> but eventually we're probably going to have to go, I'm going to have to stop using this thing because, yeah. uh, that could cause a problem. So who knows? Exactly. Uh, and, that, and, now, and, and now we have websites getting everybody's genetic information, like, uh, you know, the ancestry.com and those sorts of things as well. And people are just here. <laughs> just, you know, those are, you know, it, it, if you didn't have to worry about 1984, if you didn't have to worry about brave new world, all that kind of stuff is really, really cool. And, um, uh, but in these days, I don't know. Um, I don't know. If you want to know your ancestry, that's not uh, that's not an evil thing in and of itself. But uh, what can what can the government do with that information? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I got three more for the sake of time. Let's kind of popcorn through these quick. All right. One one pastoral question. Two personal questions. Number one: You've been around pastors. You've been in pastoral ministry as an elder. Why do so many pastors burn out? Oh well. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I, I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer. A lot of it is that um, we ask of pastors a whole lot of things that the New Testament does not say that they are gifted to do. And so they are expected to do so many things that should be done by deacons or by people just ministering in the church. And it can become overwhelming. There's, there really is, uh, I mean, how many churches are filled with people who seriously prepare themselves for worship um, and hence can be encouraging to the pastor, things like that. I think a lot of it's a lack of, lack of encouragement, lack of people coming alongside, a lack of fellowship with other, with other uh, pastors. Um, there, there are a lot of, there's, there's a lot of reasons. And, you know, I've been saying for a couple of decades now that a sound, healthy, discerning, church is a blessing on any culture yeah and if god wishes to you know you use the think of the terminology of the of the apostles you know there's a famine in the land well why is it because there weren't enough manuscripts no it's because uh, god removed the desire for the word of god from the people who are going to be judged and that means that those who ministered those things likewise encountered difficulties in their lives and things like that. So mm -hmm. there, there is a lot of, there, there's a lot to be thought of when you, when you ask the question, um, how do we remain faithful within a, a, the context in which we're in? And uh, I, I think that a lot of seminaries are struggling to actually really prepare people to deal with those kinds of, those kinds of things. And I think they, they give a lot of pastors unrealistic unrealistic. Uh, this is what it looks like to be successful. Yeah. And you can't meet it. So uh, most of them end up as computer geeks. That's been my experience. Yeah. But well, that's helpful, helpful stuff to think through. And 
I think you're right that there are several factors that, that do play into that. Okay, what does what would you go if you could go back and talk to yourself as a 25, 30 year old man? What would you tell yourself? Well, I don't know. I I I don't think I could have back then had any idea um, where the Lord would lead or you know what would what would take me there. So I I wouldn't want to say anything along those lines. I I would probably especially at that time frame, I probably, probably would say have more kids. Okay. Only had two. Uh, I would love to have had at least three, maybe four. Okay. Uh, now that I've got grandkids, um, you know, back then it was all, how can we survive? And, you know, all the pressure of uh, making it on just a little bit. Um, probably would have told myself to, to have, have more kids. Okay. Now and it would have been good not to let myself fall apart during seminary too, because it uh, took a lot of work to get uh, get back into shape after seminary. Hmm. And I've heard grandparent life is is pretty special. I mean, everybody, every grandparent I know just goes on and on about how wonderful it is. It is, and it changes your perspective. It changes your perspective greatly on the future because it's uh, until you have kids, then you you only think about stuff close to home. Then you have kids, you start thinking a little bit more about that. But it's when you have grandkids, you really start thinking about society and what mm-hmm. they're going to be facing and the wow. changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. My wife and I have two boys and we're, you know, praying through the possibilities of what, what God may have for us children wise. And so that's, that's a, a word for me of just to think through. So that's good. Okay. Why, why do you love God's word and God's grace so much? Why, why does the grace of God have your heart? Well, you know, it's funny, over the years, uh, especially dealing with um, converts to Roman Catholicism, I've either debated or had conversation with uh, a number of formerly Reformed men who have embraced the Roman Catholic system. And I've never had one look me in the eye and be able to give me any kind of meaningful explanation of how they could trade the finished work of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ, their, their standing in him for the endless treadmill of Rome's penances and indulgences and sacrificial masses and all the rest of this kind of stuff. I've just, they, they, they always have to wander off someplace else. They don't have an answer for that. And I've stood in mosques. I remember so clearly in 2013 standing in the Abu Bakr Siddiq mosque in Erasmia, South Africa. And in that debate, we were actually, I was standing right in front of the Mimbar, right in front of the, uh, a place where the, the uh, sermons would be delivered, right where the prayers were done. And, and uh, uh, the Muslims are sitting on the, on the floor uh, the wimpy Christians had to sit in chairs, but the Muslims are used to sitting on the floor for hours on end. And um, they were no farther away from me than, you know, they're, they're you know, four or five feet, very, very close. And I remember how powerful it was to be speaking to them about sin and my own sin and my own unworthiness and the, the need of a savior. And you, you could just tell these were, these were not concepts that they had ever heard of uh, before in, in any way, shape or form. And so uh, when you, when you do the things I do, you, you come to love the word for its consistency. It, it does get tiring to be honest with you, to be constantly every, 
almost every verse I read, there's a there's a algorithm running somewhere in my brain much more slowly than it used to. Um, that's going. How could this be twisted by someone? If someone interpret it this way, how would you respond to that? That's just a part of what I do. It's just sort of you know, and that does get tiring to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it greatly increases your appreciation for the consistency of God's truth, the uh, reality of being united with Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ. Um, Christ is high priest, the book of Hebrews, oh goodness. Um, and uh, you, you do think of some of the great saints who on their deathbed were, were asked, you know, what the state of their soul was and uh, their utter confidence in the uh, I'm trusting solely in the imputed righteousness of Christ and, and, and that type of response means it's not just theology that you defend, but it, it has uh, serious uh, personal application. And so, mm. you know, uh, when you, when you talk to Mormons and, and see how they just can't even begin to conceive of what, it, you know, why would you want to be in heaven forever? If you can't become a God, they don't, they don't have a God that would be worthy of, of worship, or a God that would be worthy of their attention for a hundred years, let alone eternity. Uh, and how sad that is, uh, and how empty that is. And you see the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're, they're not even going to be in heaven. They're going to live on a paradise earth, and, and there's a, intermediaries between them and the, you know, the anointed class uh, going up to God. And just all this emptiness, all this deception, just really makes you very thankful that God could have left you in that kind of deception too, but, but he didn't. And um, so, uh, you know, I have a message that I can take anywhere in the world and it's equally valid anywhere. And um, it's, it's such a thrill to be able to, to do that and to meet with uh, believers all across the world uh, that um, it's uh, truly encouraging. But anyways, I, I talk too much. That's good. That's good. Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Dr. White. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, listeners, I hope, you, I hope you'd enjoyed it. But, but thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.